This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. It's good to see everybody today, and it's good to be back in off the road, I'll tell you that much. Seemed like I thought I never would get home and, and uh, never would quit driving. Phoenix was 2,709 miles just on that trip, and then when I got back, I'd turn back and go back to West Texas the following weekend, and came back and then had to drive down to Bonham, Texas near Sherman and speak in a prison on Saturday and then over to Paris on Sunday last week to speak there. So I'm just glad to be here and it's, it's good to see you. And I've been hearing so many good things about the congregation in my absence makes me want to just stay gone. Things have been going so well and uh, that is so good to hear. I know we have a great number out today, some are traveling. We miss them and uh, hope that they're, they're safe and return to us. Did everybody get a copy of the study today? Raise your hand if you need one. Be glad to bring one where you're seated. All right. If you'll look at those, uh, Scripture order down at the bottom left corner, and then, of course, inside the Scriptures are typed out for you. There's a place for you to make notes if you want to, and then You'll turn inside to those scriptures in just a minute. We'll read there, and then there are others on the back. There's some here embedded on the front that we're going to use, and the first two that I want to read with you are on the front center, right under the title. And we'll introduce our thoughts today from Romans 1, verse 16, 17. Then I want to read 1 Corinthians 15 shortly after that. In Romans 1, 16, 17, Paul said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul talks about the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of it, because he said it's the power of God unto salvation. We get our word dynamite, incidentally, from that word power, that dynamis, that word there in the Greek. And so the gospel is indeed very powerful. He says it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. And then he said therein, that is in the gospel. Notice verse 17 because we don't often talk about it. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. He doesn't mean God's personal righteousness here. Paul's talking about God's way of making men righteous. In the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God, or God's way of making us righteous by faith. Uh, he says from faith to faith. And really what that means is this. It sounds a little difficult when you read it. But in the gospel there are two things for us. The gospel reveals God's way of making us righteous by faith. And then it imparts that faith that brings the righteousness. So therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That word to there is the Greek word ice. It means with a view toward or, or in order to. So the gospel then reveals God's way of justifying us, of making us righteous, and then provides the very faith by which we become righteous. So it reveals Christ to us. Now that word gospel is just good news. What is the good news that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of, that's God's power to save us? 
In 1 Corinthians 15, there below, verse 1 to 4, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul, when he preached the gospel, preached how Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I want to talk about the gospel this morning, this good news. Because this is a story that should never grow old. We should never tire of hearing it. We should constantly be reminded of it. And so there, there are many things said about it in Scripture. Let's talk about it today. The gospel, God's power to save us. Remember the great facts of the gospel were three. Christ died for our sins. I want to talk about that first. He died for our sins. Now why is that? Because we needed somebody to take our place and die for us. And the reason is because God's justice demands that sin be punished. And you and I have sinned and there's no way around that. And so God has got to exact punishment some way. You see, He's perfect in justice. He's not like our justice system today. God doesn't wink at sin and say, well, that's all right. I'm going to overlook that. They're human. He cannot do that. Because He's perfect in justice. And so God's, uh, God's righteousness, His justice demands that He punish every sin. And that's where we have difficulty. In Hebrews chapter 2, on the inside there, Hebrews 2 verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 2, 1 to 3. The Bible says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression, now look at this statement, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? So under Moses' law, that's that word spoken by angels that was steadfast, Every transgression back there and disobedience, we're told, received a just recompense of reward. In other words, God punished sin. And we could look at many examples of that. One of, the, one of the easier ones to understand, I suppose, is Numbers 15. And let's look at verse 32 to 36. Numbers 15. The Bible says that while the children of Israel were in the wilderness... They found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done unto him. The Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, that looks a little harsh, doesn't it? But here's a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. He is despising Moses' law. What did Moses' law say? 
Moses' law said, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no work. Remember the Sabbath day, God told him to keep it holy. And now he's out gathering sticks. Now if God lets this man go, what if another man wants to plow? What if another one wants to chop wood? What if another wants to cultivate? What if another wants to sow? What if another wants to harvest or reap? Then God would have to allow them to do that simply on the basis that he didn't punish this other fellow when he gathered sticks. And so he made an example of him. And God said, I want this man stoned to death. And I want all the congregation to take him outside the camp and stone him with stones. And all the congregation took him outside the camp and stoned him with stones and he died. Now that may sound cruel, but that's God's remedy for sin. He's just. And so as I said, he has to punish sin. And that's where you and I have great difficulty, and so did God. It's not just you and I. God had difficulty with us because we're sinners. And, you know, we might look at ourselves and think, well, you know what, I'm not too bad. I know a lot of people that have done things worse than what I do. And that may be true, but nonetheless, all of us have sinned. The Bible says in Romans 3, if you'll notice verse 10, as it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. Not a one of us. There's not a person here can raise a hand and say, I've never sinned. All right, what's the penalty for sin? Death. So what's God got to do with every sin? It carries a death penalty. If I tell a lie, what's the penalty for that? It's death. Death. Because that sin's got to be punished. That's God's justice, see. And so one day, that sin's got to be paid for by me. I'm the one that did it, or somebody's got to pay it for me. But it's got to be punished. And God will not let it go, see. That's our difficulty. Romans uh, 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned, we're told, and come short of the glory of God. So we've all done these things. In verse uh, 23 of Romans 6, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the penalty for this little lie that I might tell that I don't think is quite really too bad carries the same penalty as murder, carries the same penalty as any other sin. It is sin. And so death is the punishment for it. It has to be paid for. Now, I can't pay that debt. I have rung up a debt with God that I can't pay and neither can you. We've sinned. He demands that the sin be punished, but I can't afford to bear the punishment because that punishment is a lake of fire and I'll never get through paying it. And I can't afford to do that. In order, order to pay for my sin, I've got to go give my life. I've got to give up my life. I don't want to do that, do you? And God didn't want us to do that. But what's He going to do? Because death is what He's decreed must be the punishment for sin. And He's got to, he's got to see that that's done. But he had, a, he had a plan from eternity. Thank God, because, you know, our sin was something known to God. He knew we would. And He and Christ already had a plan 
already uh, plotted, already planned out completely. Just had to be executed. And that plan involved sending Jesus down to this earth to die for our sins. And that's why it's good news. I don't have to die. I don't have to pay for what I've done. I can go free and so can you. But we can't do that without somebody to pay the debt. Now Jesus, of course, is a person that has always existed. He's an eternal being. We may think of Him born at Bethlehem and a little baby and maybe brought into this world and had His origin and beginning right then. But in truth, in reality, He's always existed. There's never been a time when there wasn't a Jesus. Just like there's never been a time when there wasn't a God because Jesus is God. And if, as, as God, I want you to think of His majesty and glory and the humility it took to leave that glory and come down and, and confine Himself in a body like ours. Can you imagine God who fills this universe coming down and dwelling in human flesh and saying, I will live in this body. I will confine myself to this. Because He has all of that glory which He's always shared with His Father. And uh, glory so, so bright and so majestic that when Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, it blinded him. The Bible says that Christ's glory that day was above the brightness of the sun in its splendor. We can't even look upon the sun. And Paul couldn't look upon Jesus' glory. It was so much brighter than the sun that day. This is the kind of being we're talking about, willing to divest himself of all that and come down here and live in a body. The Bible speaks of his humility in doing that in Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. Paul said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So here's Christ who is in the form of God, who was equal with God, and yet he makes himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and Paul said was made in the likeness of men. He came down and confined himself in a body like this. In Hebrews 2 and 9, the Bible speaks of him humbling himself lower than angels. And Christ is far above angels. But he tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste of death for every man. When we think about Jesus this morning, and we're going to break bread later, and when we break bread, we, uh, of course, we remember Jesus Christ. We remember His body. We remember His blood. We remember who He is, what He did. And um, let's think about Him today as, number one, our, our God, our Creator. John 1, would you read with me? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, 
and without him was not anything made that was made. Look at that statement there. Without this word, there was nothing made that was made. All things were made by him. We're told in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word that was in the beginning with God, that was God, that made all things, became flesh and dwelled among us. And I don't know if we can picture, I, I can't describe it to you this morning. I don't know that man's feeble words can. I don't know that I understand it well enough. Because I don't understand a being that can speak and billions of stars appear out of nothing. Can you? But that's Jesus Christ. Now this is who we're talking about came down to live in a human body. This person spoke and billions of stars filled the skies. This person spoke and the sun came into existence. Burning at 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, it's been burning 6,000 years or longer. And he spoke that sun into existence and we're told it's a million times larger than our earth. And yet he spoke this earth into existence too. Out of nothing. How do you take nothing and just say, be thou, just appear. Let it happen, and it happens. How do you do that? I can't fathom power like this. But what I'm trying to get us to see this morning is that's what our, that's what our Lord did. All things were made by Him. When you look up at the moon and the stars, when you see the sun come through the sky, Jesus spoke them into existence just like this earth. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And now this God of the universe that created everything comes down to live in a human body to do what you and I can't do for ourselves. And that's save ourselves. We cannot do that. We can't live good enough. We can't make up for what we've done. We, can't, uh, we don't have anything to offer God. What am I going to offer God for the sin I've committed? How am I going to pay for that? If the penalty's death, how am I going to pay? I don't want to die, do you? I don't want to die an eternal death to pay for my sin. And God didn't want that for us either. And that's a great dilemma for God because, you see, it really costs something to put away sin. And not just anybody could pay this debt. There were a lot of things involved. And yet it was the Creator, our own Creator, that died to give us life again. In Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on night. So this one then that made the worlds, 
came down and, and died for us and by Himself purged our sins and took His seat at the right hand of God. Not just anybody could do that. For you and I to have a sacrifice, we needed to, first of all, that sacrifice had to be sinless. This is why the devil worked so hard on Christ to tempt Him, to try to get Him to sin, because had He gotten Jesus to commit one sin, let's say tell one lie, then we would have no Savior. Why? There would be nobody to die for us because that sin that Jesus committed, He'd have to pay for. So He'd have to be punished. This whole scheme was risky, wasn't it? Because if He comes down and doesn't keep God's law perfectly, we don't have a Savior. And now Jesus would have problems of His own because He would have sinned. He's in flesh. He's subject to every temptation we feel. And yet the Bible says of Christ here in 1 Peter 2 and 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. He did no sin. Think of that. How do you live over 33 years and never commit a sin by what you think, by what you do, by what you say? How do you live perfectly? Well, that's what it took. You see, we had to have somebody sinless to bear our sin. Somebody had to take them. Back under the law of Moses, when they had a, what was called the Day of Atonement, one day out of the year, the high priest went into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. He's the only one that could go there. He could only go one time in a year. It was on a specific day. It was called the Day of Atonement. When he went into that place back there, he took blood. He took the blood of an animal that was innocent. Two goats were brought up. One of them he laid hands on, symbolically transferring his sins and the sins of Israel over on that goat. And then somebody took the goat and led it out into the wilderness, way out where nothing was, and turned it loose, symbolizing the carrying away of sins out of God's sight and removing them forever. The other goat left there, hands was laid on him, symbolically, of course, trans transferring the sins of the people over on that innocent animal. They cut his throat, they collected the animal's blood, and that high priest went into that most holy place with that blood, and there he sprinkled it on the mercy seat of the ark. That ark contained the Ten Commandments, the covenant that God had made with Israel. And Israel had broken that covenant. And God dwelt between the angelic beings on each end of that ark called cherub. There's where His glory rested. There's where He filled that place. And He looked down continually on that ark to a broken law, a covenant that Israel had broken. And what satisfied His anger was blood once a year. It didn't take the sin away, but a remembrance had to be made the next year. And the high priest repeated the same process and brought the scapegoat in, brought the other, or turned the scapegoat loose and brought the other goat's blood in and offered that again. And the sins were remembered. They never were forgiven. They were remembered every year. That kept happening until Christ came.
And he, like that lamb, that goat, had to be innocent. And of course, the Bible says that he was. Because our sins, you see, were laid over on Christ. I don't know if we can picture that when Christ died for us, Him bearing our sins. He's never born sin. He's never sinned. He doesn't know, he doesn't know how to sin. The Bible says of God that He cannot sin. Sin's repulsive to Him. And now think of all the vile things that are laid over on Jesus. Every act of every homosexual laid over on Christ. As if He'd done all those horrible things. Every act of a prostitute and pimp. Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with things like that. But you see, He took those sins so that every prostitute could be forgiven and many have been. The Lord never stole anything. Everybody's committed extortion. All the theft and everything was laid over on Christ that day. Every vile, wicked, evil thing you can think of was laid over on Christ that day at Calvary. And that caused His Father to even withdraw His presence from Him and the sun to be darkened. The Bible says that He bore our sins. Look at 1 Peter 2.24 Who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. There's an interesting statement about those stripes. Because you see those sins had been laid over on Christ when He was scourged with whips. And it cost a lot. It cost a lot of agony and pain for Jesus to, uh, to take care of our sins, to pay the debt. I can't, I can't describe it this morning. I don't think I can understand it completely. I don't know what He felt when He felt the Father withdrawing His presence from Him because He's been used to sharing glory with His Father from eternity. They're, they're just intimately close. And now God's had to withdraw His presence because Jesus has made sin for us and bears our sin. They take Him to this place to scourge Him. And uh, these scourgings were absolutely brutal. He's bearing our sin, bearing mine. They would have stripped every bit of His clothing off of Him. When you see these pictures of Christ being partially clad, you're not seeing what the Romans really did. They didn't care about humiliating somebody because they had whips there that they beat him with that had pieces of metal and pieces of bone knotted into those whips, something that would cut deep into the flesh. And it actually just tore the flesh back. It just stripped flesh from the body. They would have whipped him from his neck down to his feet and just torn his back up and all of his legs, his backside, and just laid him bare. Many times a victim came from those scourgings with, with their bowels protruding from their side because they'd just been lacerated and cut open. Their intestines were falling out. Some of them died sometimes under the brutality of those beatings. But Peter says that by his stripes ye were healed. He took that beating for us. 
I can't imagine pain like that. No wonder in Gethsemane there in the garden, he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He did not want that the next day. Who would blame him? Who would blame him? He's innocent. Then they lead him out to Calvary, and there they drive nails through his hands and feet. Now, they could not put nails through the palms, and when medical doctors talk about crucifixion, they talk about the horror of it, and of course, they couldn't drive the nail through the palms because the hands are not strong enough. They would tear out from the weight of the body. But down here in the wrist are a couple of bones, and they can put a nail right in between them. There is no... There are no veins or arteries there to cause a person to bleed completely out, not in that spot. They're more on the sides. And so they would have impaled him some way there with large nails. There is a huge nerve that runs down through there that they would have struck with that nail that he would have felt. And we can't even imagine the pain of that. They drove nails through his feet and hung him between heaven and earth. And there he is bearing our sins and the sins of the whole world. It's best probably for us to think of it as him bearing my sin. My sin. I don't know if we can appreciate the cross till we make it personal. But the things that I've done were laid on him that day and that's why he's dying. And the things that you've done. God requires blood. Hebrews 9.22, almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. So Christ had to shed His blood. Blood is the life of our body. We lose blood, we lose life. The penalty for sin is death and therefore blood has to be shed. Life has to be given to pay the debt for sin. That's what God demands. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18 and 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And there Jesus hangs now between heaven and earth for hours, suffering. When you see these nice pictures where the Lord is robed and He's covered in everything. You can forget that because he would have been completely naked and exposed to the audience down below. The Romans didn't care about that. And they would have hung him there in shame to suffer and to bleed and die. And I don't know if we can, uh, I don't know if we can picture it or not in our mind, but we should. This I'm telling you today is the good news. The good news that you don't have to die Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. And this is what it took. Had there been another way, surely God would have taken it, but there was no other way. There was no other being in this universe that could pay this debt for us except God Himself. And so God came down in the form of His Son and died for us. And then we read uh, that he was buried. Let's read the story of his death and burial. First of all, his, his death in John 19. Read with me at verse 30. 
When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you may believe. It was a cruel death that the Lord died that day. And when he died then, the next thing in process was the burial. Because John 19, as John continues at verse 38, he tells us that after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to him by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in the linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of Jews is to bury. Now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a, a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, where never man yet was laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So now they took down that body from the cross and they took it over to a new sepulcher. And John tells us that they, Nicodemus had brought a hundred pounds of aloes and myrrh. This would have been perfume and sticky things. It would have, they would have taken the Lord's body and wrapped Him like a mummy. Just picture being wrapped like this. And within the folds of these linens in, they would have placed those, spur, those myrrh and aloes in there. And so you're seeing, you're seeing basically, a, I probably should draw it out this way, but just a large mummy that's just wrapped with linen clothes. There is a napkin placed over his head, and uh, he's laid there in that tomb where never a person's ever been buried. This was the Jews' custom to bury. And they sealed the, the, the tomb, of course, with a huge stone. Sometimes we're told those stones weighed three to 4,000 pounds, just the stone. Very difficult to remove, obviously. And uh, if you'll remember, the women who came there on the first day of the week were wondering who was going to roll the stone away for them. That stone was just huge. In John 20, we, we learn that he was not only buried, but that he rose again the third day. The Bible says that the first day of the week, Cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and saith unto them, They've taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they've laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple, and they came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. 
And he stooping down and looked again, saw the linen clothes lying. And yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. When they came into the sepulcher that morning, they saw the linen clothes lying, but no body in them. And evidently the Lord then had just simply passed out through the, the linen wrapping that he was in. The napkin that was about his head was laid completely over here in another spot. It was folded up real neatly and laid over here by itself. There was no strowing of linen all over the tomb as if burglars had come in and taken the body. Why would a thief take time to fold the napkin and lay it over here in a place by itself? Why would he go to that kind of detail? Evidently Jesus did that and folded the covering that was over his face and laid it over here completely separated in a different spot. Everything was orderly in the tomb. The linen clothes were just lying. The napkin was, was uh, folded very carefully so that it would be obvious that nothing, was happened, nothing happened mischievously to that body. It wasn't taken by someone, by his enemies or by the disciples or by anyone else. But rather there was a resurrection that occurred and that's what everything that uh, was in the tomb that morning was to appear uh, as having had happened because that's what did happen. The Lord literally rose from the dead. You know, there's an interesting passage. I don't have this on your chart, but when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he says, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Think about that statement. God loosed the pains of death from Christ, raised him up. Why? Because it was not possible that he should be holden of death. Now, ask yourself, why? Why could not death hold Jesus? Why was it not possible that he should be holden of death? Because it wasn't just to keep him dead. You see, Jesus died for our sins, not his. And so he's dead. But you see, it's not really just for him to stay dead. It wasn't possible that he should be holden of it. And so God then in His justice raised up Christ from the dead because He was innocent, sinless. And the penalty of death should never have been imposed on Him, but He died for us. And so He was raised that day. His death, burial, and resurrection. Now you know, there are, there are parts of this story that just break your heart. They rip it out. They're, they're hard to contemplate sometimes, but... We need to do that. But you know, as, as beautiful as the story is in a lot of ways, it's, it's great to hear about the gospel. It's great to hear the death, burial, and resurrection. But just hearing about it is not enough. Just learning things about it is not enough. Seeing medical evidence about it is not enough. 
learning the significance of blood and how that relates to our salvation is not enough. I mean, we've got to know all of these great facts. But this gospel has to be believed. And that's accomplished through preaching. And the world today considers foolishness, uh, preaching foolishness. They always have. You know, Paul once wrote that after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. What the world thinks is foolish today is the very thing that will save them. The gospel has to be preached in order for people to believe it. If you'll read with me now on the front, front of your chart over on the right side, you'll see Romans 10, verse 13 to 17. Paul says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Esaias say, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So Paul talked about being saved, but he raised a series of questions. He said, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved, but how they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And so he, he noted this order that we send out preachers who preach and people hear because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. They hear so they can believe and call on the name of the Lord in the way the Bible teaches and then be saved. But it all starts out with the sending of preachers. So God wants this gospel preached. Preach continually to everyone. And so we read there in Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, there on the right, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. God says, Take it to every creature. Not everybody wants to hear it. You know, when Paul and others took it around in the first century, he was stoned, he was beaten with rods and whipped and scourged. He was blasphemed. He was imprisoned. He was, uh, he was persecuted unmercifully. All because he was giving people the very thing that would save them and they didn't want it. And so they tried to kill the messenger. Preach the gospel. It's got to be believed. And so we can hear about it all we want but until we embrace it and believe in it and and, and believe that Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose the third day, the gospel can't do us any good. But it's not just believe. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And God's appointed baptism as an act for us to become a Christian. And He's very plain about it. In Romans 6, verse 17 and 18, it's called obeying a form of doctrine. 
Paul said, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. If you see the pictures there on the front, you have the gospel there in the top picture. Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose the third day. That's the doctrine. Down below in baptism is the form of doctrine. You see, in baptism, we're crucified with Him, we're buried with Him, we are risen with Him. And that's Romans 6 there on the bottom right, verse 3 to 7. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we should be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And so in baptism there is a form of the death, burial, and resurrection. And God has appointed baptism for you and I to say this. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He died for my sins. I'm willing to die with Him. I'm willing to be baptized into His death. I believe Jesus Christ was buried. I'm willing to be buried with Him by baptism into death. I believe that Christ rose the third day according to the Scriptures. I'm willing to rise from that water to walk with Him in newness of life. And thereby in baptism we demonstrate our faith in the Gospel in the death, burial, and resurrection. And when we do that, that blood then is applied to us. And the debt that we owe for our sins is now paid. And sins are forgiven and washed away as if they'd never happened. And it isn't that God let them go. It's just that now Jesus has paid for them. And God's accepted that payment because of our faith and obedience. Because there are conditions for us the Lord came and did the things that we could not do. And now He asked very simple things of us. I want you to believe in me and my death, burial, and resurrection. I want you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And I want you to walk with me. Walk with me in a new life. And so we have that obligation then to begin that walk. Today, this good news is open to the human race still. It will be till the Lord comes. It's open to anybody here today that needs it. And if you've never rendered obedience to the gospel, if you've never said, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in His death, burial, and resurrection, and I want to be baptized into Christ, and I want to live for Him and walk with Him, you can start that journey today. And God will take care of everything you've ever, you've ever thought, said, or done. Are you carrying guilt in your life? Are you ashamed of things you've done, that you've said, that you've thought? Are you, are you tired of bearing the guilt and shame? You know, there's a simple way to get rid of that. And that's to let the Lord die for it and pay the debt and fix things for you that you can't fix yourself. He'll do that today if you'll come and obey Him. We have an invitation song if anybody needs the Lord. If you're a Christian here today and you just need prayer, 
You just need to more, be more consecrated, more dedicated, and you need the prayers of the congregation. You have an opportunity to come and ask for those. And we love to pray with you. So one of the brethren will lead that prayer for us. If you're here and you'd like to be baptized for the remission of sins, we'll be willing to take you and do that also, if that's your desire. So we offer the invitation, if you need Christ, to come as we rise and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.